Hey, chaps, happy Wednesday. Do yeoman, let the groundwater posting commence. Well then. Yes, as a matter of fact, that is indeed one of the tenets of living groundwater. Let me write that down. Alrighty, chaps, hope you've all had a great morning, great day. Uh, we're awaiting the rain here. It was a lovely hot day yesterday. Um, so we went and uh, used up all of our rainwater barrels for the garden and are expecting a, a rainfall tonight, which will be wonderful. Get things going again. Um, I would definitely, I think once we get our own piece of land and move on, I think I'm going to become a cereal rainwater hoarder because uh, I do not trust the groundwater anywhere in the corn belt. Um, but yeah, today I wanted to chat a bit about that, you know, figuring out uh, geographical dominion. You know, a lot of guys are uh, very, I don't know, I, I think for guys, we're just very interested in why people live where they live, uh, how they came to live there, uh, what they're doing about it. And, you know, so many guys are in this whole new urbanism thing or in the permaculture thing or in the, oh, you know, tiny house thing, uh, homesteading. There's all these gentrification. Uh, and then, of course, good old suburban life. But there's all these, we're so interested in what is the best way of living? Where is the best place to live? And unfortunately, in America, the, the culture is one of unbridled consumerism, uh, comfort, materialism leading us to uh, unrootedness, where the unrooted vagrant masses, you know, where you'll go across the country uh, for the next job uh, or the next opportunity. Um, and that's great. That's that, that fueled an amazing innovation and amazing growth of things and whatnot and GDP, big line go up and all that kind of thing. But what it did was it severed localism. It severed generational family thinking it severed love of your people and place um and and it brought in exploitation of people and exploitation of place of so these are my people i'm just here to, to take money from them and this isn't my place i'm just here to to develop it and sell it on when i read wendell berry the the thing that really struck a chord in me was how he said a piece of land owns you you know, he was talking about how his grandfather owned that piece of land. Then his dad owned that piece of land. Now he owns that piece of land. And then his children are going to own this piece of land. And um, saying how, who really owned what? Did the land not own his whole family lineage? And it's like, wow, that's amazing. You know, starting to think of land as as holding ownership over you. It's a really cool thing to, to think of. Um And so we get to this place of, of, of being a, a, a generation that has zero belonging, zero meaning when it comes to where do I live? Who do I live amongst? You know, we don't know the name of our neighbor. Uh, we change our own homes. You know, some of us obviously are far more steady and settled than others. But as a, as a, as a whole, I feel like the millennial generation is very unrooted or very severed from its roots. 
uh, with a willingness to move and, and all that. Do you want that 5% labor mobility comes at you fast? It really does. You know, and that's it. It's, it's the great, that is the great thing of America. It's the American dream. You know, it's, it's economic, it's economic class mobility, which is wonderful. It's brought, you know, hundreds of millions of people out of poverty by giving them opportunity. Uh, and at the same time, we've totally forgotten tradition and forgotten uh, family and land and, and uh, the love and the veneration of locality and place. So I just had some, I just had some things I wanted to, to chat about of, we're all thinking about this thing, especially now in clown world, right? In clown world, we're thinking like, oh crap, like at least a lot of guys are understanding this. Get the heck out of Detroit, get the heck out of Los Angeles, get the heck out of New York. Like I feel like I get the heck out of Minneapolis. I feel like guys are understanding that, you know, there's this, this base level clown world reality of like, everything's on fire. Like the cities have become such a seat of the globalist worldview, the globalist software, you know, especially if you have a university in your town, especially if, if you have a, a, a very big government employee, uh, center, um, liberalism is kind of like oppressive. It's an oppressive atmosphere over that, that town, right. Over that city. And, um, and then you throw multicultural, uh, power politics into that. Uh, you throw, you know, a, a city in itself is a very unsustainable thing. It's, it's all, it's always fed from outside. You know, we, we're moving into a city nation where our nation is fed from the outside, but a city, it, it, it produces very little. It's a refinement. Uh, it's a, it's a, a gathering of, you know, skill and trade and profession and whatnot. Um, always uh, dependent upon the productivity um, of either the countryside or of, you know, manufacturing used to be, you know, they, they, they used to have manufacturing towns, which weren't nice places to live. So, so they wouldn't have the university in the manufacturing town. Um, you know, the manufacturing town would then supply uh, the cities. Rob, how's a brother? Got held up on the phone with a money changer. Yes. Do you want? I want to be two days walk from any major urban center. Rob, if you guys are enjoying, hey, thank you, man. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm humbled and honored that you guys even watch. So it's wonderful. Yeah, you know. So this thing about the city being unsustainable, you know. You've got to, you've got to, a lot of guys are understanding that it's clown world. We need to get out of the cities. Why though? Why are they saying this? And, and it comes down to supply chain breakdown, you know, and we saw that with the whole Suez Canal thing. We've seen that with the, the first round of lockdowns last year. Oh my gosh, toilet paper in the streets, you know, oh my gosh, or oh, everything's shut down and there's chaos. Uh, the problem being that you, you can't, uh, you can't rely um, on your own abilities to provide for yourself. I mean, obviously people are doing very well with urban homesteads and prepping and all of this stuff. That's great. But the moment, you know, the moment law and order breaks down, like it has in South Africa, you have to start building walls, three, four meter high walls, razor wire, electric, electric things, and have 20 dogs inside. You start building compounds in the city. And, and I would suggest that if you are in a city out of necessity of family or business or whatever, I would suggest very seriously building a compound because, you know, you, 
And even then it's like, man, is it, you know, that's the problem with living in these, in these cities in, in South Africa, the moment you step out the compound, you're at risk. You know, there's, there's hijackings, there's kidnappings, there's murders. Um, whereas you go to the countryside and it's a totally different life, you know, in a town where you know people by their name, you know, there's an in-group preference as far as economy because you, you're not going to a store and buying from a, an employee who's earning 10 bucks an hour. You're buying from someone's business who, who owns it and they live in your town and you're supporting their family. They're supporting yours. There's, there's mutual uh, honor and respect and, and even a measure of self-reliance to the point of like, Hey, if the power goes out or if water goes out, it's like, we're not going to die. We, you know, we'll make things, figure things out. And then you, you add growing your own food and prepping and whatnot to that. And you, you become a very resilient people. And in South Africa where we have, you know, it would be the, the equivalent of the militia in America, but you have farmers associations where the farmers all have a roster where they patrol at night around the, the, um, the area and you know make sure that there's there's private security because there's no law and order law and order has broken down and so you need to resort to vigilant vigilance vigilante um security um of your of your geographic area of your domain so you know now with america taking the path of of south africa as far as descending into uh, purposeful multicultural chaos purposeful multicultural uh, decline of law and order, of voting um, integrity. Uh, not that there ever was, it's just that it wasn't, it wasn't so high stakes. You know, so, so for instance, you know, 40 years ago, uh, Mayor Bob is, is the incumbent and the other mayor is, you know, Mayor Jeff, uh, mayoral candidate Jeff, and, and they're both a bunch of shysters and they're stealing money from the treasury. Um, and they're running off against each other and the one guy pays off the votes were blah, blah, blah. It's like, we would never have known. Right. And it was just two shysters who were running the town badly. But for the most part, society carried on because your electorate was a very civil electorate who were making sure that duties were, um, were upheld and they were holding mayor Bob to account, you know, like, Hey, look, you said you were going to fix this issue. Let's sort it out and fix it. And, and to a certain extent, um, the, the electorate carries, uh, civilization, but the moment you have multiculturalism, um, you get this, this very different outcome, this very different goal of each electorate, right? It, it devolves into tribalism, into faction fighting, uh, for the power of the mayorship to, to punish the other tribes and to bless your tribe, you know, bless them with jobs, bless them with contracts, bless them with uh, immunities or, or legal protections. Um, and so that's what's happened in a multicultural democracy is that instead of, of the electorate, a homogenous electorate, just carrying society along and dealing with the corruption because it's, you know, and that's it. You go to Mayor Bob and you're like, Mayor Bob, you suck. You're a fraud shyster. He can't say, Oh, you're a racist. It's like, dude, we're both lily white white boys shut your face and get out of this. Um, now it's like, Oh, you're racist. And like, Oh, we can't, can't say anything to mayor Bob. Like, uh, that's racist. Like, okay, we're not going to say anything. And then you just let it carry on because now you're afraid of some bogey word, uh, that multicultural identity politics has, uh, forced you into a place where your group is now the only group without protections in group protections. So 
that's the cities. The cities are by nature the multicultural gathering point of the globalist empire. So my number one thing in this is getting out of the cities as far as your family and business attachments um, allow. You know, so for a lot of you guys, you have businesses in the city and 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 that's fine and things carry on. And it's the same as South Africa. You know, I, that's what I think a lot of guys are like, oh, there's going to be a hard reset in America. There's going to be a civil war. There's going to be, uh, you know, all this crazy dystopian, quick, quick, everything. It's like, it's not how it works, Japs. It's a slow decline and it just keeps declining and declining and declining. South Africa is still, it's like, can it decline anymore? No, it can never. No, nope, no, nope, there, there it goes. Still declining. And so, so it's just going to be a slow decline of law and order, slow decline of, of services, slow decline of, of infrastructure where your life in the city, as long as you look after yourself, as long as you uh, become hyper aware, hyper vigilant, uh, life continues. But what I suggest is having a way out, especially now with lockdowns and things sort of like having a piece of land outside of the city that you can uh, get out should lockdowns happen, should unrest happen. Um, so, you know, and that's where we've got to believe Deuteronomy 28, you know, where it says that we are blessed in the city and blessed in the country. You know, if you're in the city, believe that you're blessed in the city, but it's going to come with a whole bunch of, you're going to have to work a lot harder uh, for dominion uh, because you're, you're always going to be the minority in a hyper-globalist, hyper-liberal uh, seat of power. So then we start talking about, and this is the biggest thing I want to talk about. Sorry, let me get to your comments here, chaps. <clears throat> Rob, the purpose of tribes and gangs is the preservation of values and strength in numbers. You don't F with us because there is going to be a kinsman redemption. Yeah, that's right. You know, in-group preference as well as out-group retaliation. You know, there's a that was a great analysis by Vox Day, the, the one uh, podcast I listened to a while back. But he said the reason that, that um, you know, everyone's like, oh, welfare has destroyed uh, the black family welfare has destroyed the black culture and the black society. And it's not welfare. It's the lowering of standards. It's the lowering of, of enforcing of law and order, um, on one culture, one group of the population. And so they, they become a law unto themselves. They, they start, uh, treating laws as the, well, that doesn't apply to me because I have a special get out of jail free card, which is calling everyone else a racist. But that being said, you look at the Jews, you look at the Indians, uh, you look at the Muslims and it doesn't really matter where they are. They've got such a strong in-group preference that, you know, that's it. It's, it's the, it's the Jews in New York, right? One of the most degenerate uh, cities on earth. And you have a whole quarter, a whole section of this city that is just Hasidic, very Orthodox Jews. And they, uh, they keep their in-group preference. They keep their in-group economy. They keep their in-group uh, law and order. And they are probably very harsh uh, on on outgroup retaliation. You know, don't mess with us, or we come after you. So, uh, same with the Amish. You know, the Amish have have they have shunned the city, so they don't have to deal with a lot of things. So they they very much uh, they have a great model because they've they've gone and done that in a rural area, rural area, buy space, get space, and then we just put up walls and we don't deal with anyone on the outside. And they, they have a very high in-group uh, 
value where if you don't toe the line, they sh they chuck you out. It's like you're gone, like you're shunned. Um, and then that's it with with gangs. You know, what is a gang but a geographical dominion organization? You know, you're it's an it's an economy, it's a morality or a culture, um, and it's 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 very high in group, very high out group retaliation. Do your man. In most developed countries, 80% of the population lives in an urban space. If you're living there, you will com be competing against them for rapidly diminishing resources in an emergency. Yeah, you know, and, and this is what I wanted to hit on, right? It's not, perhaps not for ourselves. That's why I say for, for our own life, you know, things will probably be fine. You can live in a city. Just become more vigilant, build a compound. <clears throat> Problem comes when we start thinking multi-generationally, generational inheritance, right? What do we want our children to inherit? And... The reality is your children can't choose where they live because they're going to grow up where you have chosen to live, you know, and it's, it's this thing of like, what are they inheriting? Are they inheriting space? Cause that's what the Amish have done well, right? There's space for their, for their children to farm space for their children to build their own opportunities and space for, for their children to expand. There's, there's Raum, Lebensraum, uh, and then peace. We want our children to inherit peace, right? We don't want them living next to people who hate them. We don't want them living next to people who attack them and who denigrate them and who uh, parasite off them uh, and who target them, you know? So we want to get away uh, from, from cities for our children's sake. Um, or we want to very highly uh, isolate them from uh, liberal or, 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 popular culture and, and that that just takes a lot more work you know i think you'd have to look at at these hasidic jews or, or orthodox jews uh, or the or the the indians or um the muslims and the only way to isolate your children if you're living in a city from the popular culture is to change your language change your language go very hard on moral uh teaching go very hard on faith um because that, that is what liberalism, enlightenment, popular culture, it's a religion, right? It's the religion of our day. And we are, we are indoctrinated, brainwashed, brought up to bow down to the gods of state authority, the god of feminism, uh, the god of equality. And so to, to isolate your children while living under that, it has to take a, a different language, a different faith. And it has to be, it has to be patriarchal. The Muslims, the Jews, the 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 Amish, it's it has to be, you know, to the point of like almost militant aggression against any form of of popular culture coming into your life. Uh, Rob, the fall of empire is a slow decline of the quality of life. The Yemen complaints about minimal rural policing become a plus when state control decays to the point that you have a free hand and can organize. Yeah, you know, in South Africa, it's a it's a fearful thing. You know, we live very rural, um, and there would be like theft or uh, or certain things where where we have to call the police for the reason being we need a police statement for insurance purposes, and you know that's the only reason you call the police is just to get your insurance. Uh, file claim. You deal with everything yourself. Uh, you have private security. You have measures uh, in place to dissuade um, theft and and violence and robbery and whatnot. 
but the police is a net negative. You don't want them involved because they're incompetent. Uh, they're often uh, involved in, in theft and crime themselves. Uh, and the justice system is so broken. Um, it's a very different system. It's a, it's a Roman law, not, not the, the English common law where there's a jury system. It's a, it's a Roman system. So it's very different to, to America's justice system. I mean, even though America's justice system is broken, you kind of feel some, some form of like, I'll get a fair shake out. Uh, and we've got enough friends to make a noise. If not, not the case, uh, perhaps in the future, not the case, uh, in South Africa. And so it becomes a thing of like that whole thing with, with Chauvin's case. It's like, I don't really care because I, I'm not going to places where I'm going to have run-ins with the police. I'm not going to places where I'm going to have run-ins with unrest and put myself in a place where I need the help of the police or put myself in a place where I could get the police knocking, uh, you know, uh, involved in my life every, in a daily way. It's like, that's just unwise, you know? And that's a, another reason like you say, to have a, a really uh, rural place. And we don't have the sheriff system in South Africa. You know, the, the sheriff system is a phenomenal tool where it's a it's like, man, if you if you're in a rural area and and you as a locality elect your sheriff, it's like this is a wonderful thing. You know, instead of unelected bureaucratic enforcers uh, being placed into your locale. Rob, it's a great opportunity to thrive for people that do not identify with the empire. Yeah, you know, that's it. The breakup of empire, the breakup of law and order, uh, you know, and, and it's a good thing for us. It's a good thing for Anglo-Protestant uh, young men who, you know, we are, we are, we were disinherited from our own, from our own empire. You know, our forefathers built this huge empire. Uh, and even there, that, that, that's a, that's, even there's a lie. You know, there, there were shysters who happened to be Anglo, who happened to be Protestant, who happened to advance the boundaries of empire and crush other cultures and crush other tribes and take other lands and set up infrastructure and set up governance, uh, colonialism, all this stuff for their own advance, advancement, for their own wealth, their own power, their own sadism. And, you know, most of our, uh, most of our, lineage um were just the foot soldiers just the pawns just the oh, i'm just a businessman looking to get along and and going with the times you know and and so we we get to this place where there's so much blood feud with all these other tribes um you know and sure i, I agree in some form of of in some way it's like oh man my father was wronged by this guy's father and it's like dude you know, if, if that were the case, if that, if that's, you know, that, that's where the gospel comes in of like Jesus's blood pays for the blood feud of all, of all blood feuds, right from Cain all the way to my dad. Um, but anyway, so we get to this place where, where there's this, this Anglo, Anglo world, Anglo civilization that we were the progenitors of not necessarily not necessarily the inheritors of power in it right very very few people uh are born into the halls of power and what i mean by halls of power is not like presidencies and uh you know senator and all this stuff i'm talking like oligarchical uh aristocratic levers of power you know i'm talking cecil rhodes 
Rockefeller levels of power within an empire. You know, your your 1,000 uh, top wealthy uh, the people that you don't even know their names. And they are pulling uh, levers. They're pulling geopolitical moves. They're pulling, uh, you know, in our day, just the same uh, as, as the last 2,000 years, you know, 4,000 years. So, so, you know, myself as a young aristocratic Anglo lad, you know, thinking myself as the higher crust of society and, uh, you know, I am 2,000 years of fine breeding and I love my people. I love my place. And it's like, yeah, that's all well and good. Uh, but I'm not, I'm not, I'm not the inheritor of the leaves of power. I'm simply the inheritor of the peace and prosperity uh, that I get to live in. I'm the inheritor of that, uh, the fruit of that civilization. So, so there's a, a very big psyop that goes on, you know, when they're all like, oh, white boys are terrible. White boys did slavery, white boys, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, sure. There's a, I don't know where I'm trying to get to with, I do know where I'm trying to get to with this. I'm not, you know, I couldn't care less for blame and girls. Like, you know, I, I couldn't care less for, for justifying past order. I'm like, I'm glad to be an Anglo. I love my Anglo heritage. What I'm trying to say is we must be, this is what I'm trying to say. America descending and breaking apart. Britain empire descending and breaking apart. South Africa breaking apart. Rhodesia breaking apart. Not Rhodesia. I'll take Rhodesia back. But South Africa, Britain, and America, that empire falling and breaking apart is a good thing for Anglos because it's it's taking the, the blinders off of us thinking that we have control over our own systems when we never had. And so it breaking and destroying is a great thing because now it's breaking apart. Now we can move into ownership, move into uh, direction of our people and our place away from an empire that we identify with and take responsibility for that we never had authority over. If that makes sense to you. DBG, how's it, brother? Um, so Rob, yeah, it's a great opportunity to thrive for people that do not identify with the empire. So for us Anglo boys, it's a great opportunity to stop identifying as American, as South African, as British. Why? Because some guy from India, some guy from Nigeria, some guy from China, some guy from wherever, Israel, can arrive in America, get a blue passport, and be like, I'm American. I'm America. I am captain. I'm, I'm the captain now. And, and so he, he takes on all, all the, the fruits, all the uh, privileges of being American with none of the responsibilities, none of the buy-in, none of the uh, weight of what it is to be, you know, generations and generations of, of the people who have lived here and loved this place and built something for their children and now are being pushed out and demonized uh, and replaced by these uh, paper Americans, paper Britons, paper South Africans. Even, I mean, South Africa is a, a terrible example. South Africa, you know, the British set up a, an economic zone a geographical dominion over 15 different tribes, you know? And so now we're all paper South Africans, but none of us are South Africans. I'm Anglo. A bunch of my mates are Afrikaners, Dutch. A bunch of guys are Zulu. A bunch of guys are Tosa. A bunch of guys are Indian. A bunch of guys are, you know, 
you're not a South African, but well, we're paper South African. So the destruction of the South African empire, and this is a metaphor now for America, the destruction of the South African empire allows the Indian to go like, I'm Indian. It allows the Afrikaner to go, I'm an Afrikaner. I can look after my own. I can focus on my own. I can focus on floating my group above the wreckage. I can focus on, on attracting my group with none of the, of the pretend I'm a, I'm a paper South African. Let me in. It's like, well, I can't be a paper Afrikaner. Like don't speak the language. Didn't have the, the cultural upbringing, not a paper Afrikaner. Now I, I could, I could appeal to them and be like, cause I'm adjacent in culture. I could be like, Hey guys, love what you're doing for the love of God. Could I come be a slave in your Republic? Could I come be a second class citizen in your Republic in the hopes that my children would, uh, become Afrikaans, that my children's children would become Afrikaans and that they could live in this glorious civilization. You see, that's, now we're thinking, now we're thinking geographic dominion. Now we're thinking maneuvering for our, our children, right? And so in America, the American empire, think of it like the South African, right? There are, there are 15, 20, 30 different cultural groups that are in bondage to the American empire. So this American empire falling and breaking apart allows each one of these groups to rise above the wreckage, to float above the wreckage, kick out all the people who don't, who don't, who are parasites to them, who are uh, antagonistic to them, who are, who are just downright nasty to them and be like, no way. Like I want to be a Cascadian. I'm a Cascadian or I'm a new Englander or I'm a, I'm an Ohioan or, you know, whatever the, these little, cultural groups are, you know, that, that seed of Albion of the, of the four, um, you know, original settling heritages, you know, it's, it's now far beyond that with, with Germans and Scandinavians and Irish and Italians and, um, uh, Spanish, uh, Latino, uh, the, the African-Americans now all the, the Muzis coming in. It's like, you know, if you want to be very realistic, you want to start figuring out when this empire breaks down, which it is, do I want to be part of this dominant culture in this area? You know, so like Kentucky has a very distinct culture from Indiana. They're, they're very similar. They're adjacent. They're very adjacent. But it's like, I can see the differences. I can see the little things that are like, yeah, they're, they're different. Uh, and so I think that's one of the biggest things is where do I want my children to grow up? Where do I want my children to have a, a shot at peace and prosperity. <clears throat> DVG, you never see the Amish or the Hasids on the national news for scandals. There are probably lots, but they deal with it on the inside because they know they are better than everyone else. Yeah, it's it's this thing of not identifying with the outside world. You know, when we go to the police, it's because we think the police are our police. When we go to the justice system, it's because we think the justice system is our justice system. When we go to the news, we think it's because the news is our news. This is the biggest one we need to cut out is all these crap journalists, these lying Satan in a tree journalists who are not our people. They're literally a different nation. They're a different culture. They're a different people who hate you. They hate people. They hate your place. They hate your nation. They hate your faith. And it's like, why do we keep going to them? I don't read the newspaper of Nigeria. I don't read the newspaper of Japan because they're not my people. I don't care. But, oh, Washington, D.C., New York Post. Like, oh, what are they saying? What are they? It's like, yeah, it's not your people. Like, why do you care? And that's it. You know, I'm going to read that comment again, DVG. It's, it's exactly the thing here. The Amish and the Hasids 
are not in the national news for scandals. There are probably a lot, but they deal with it on the inside because they know they are better than everyone else. And they know they are different. They know they are different to everyone else. And that's where like as, as Anglo Protestant Christian nationalist boys, like we've got to understand that we are peculiar people, you know, and it's not, Oh, like go be, go kick everyone else out. It's like, no, no, no. Like we're adjacent to a lot of people. You know, some of you guys have a lot of, uh, uh, Germanic heritage. Some of you guys have have Anglo heritage. Some of you guys have Latino heritage. Some of you guys have uh, French or you know whatever it is, Irish, Italian. And it's like the point is is to be proud of that and be like, man, like, and again, not pride in in the sense of like I'm above God. Gratitude is to have gratitude in your heritage and be like, man, God, you created this Anglo people. You created this. Germanic people, you created this Irish people, this Italian people. And it's like, that's wonderful. I'm going to be fully, for me, I'm going to be fully Anglo. You know, I married a Germanic girl. She's fully Germanic. And it's like, this is wonderful. Like celebrate your heritage. What are, you know, I, I have quite a frank chat with, with, you know, I've discipled some black guys who are just crushing because they understand two things. What are, what are the positive stereotypes of being African-American? What are the negative stereotypes of being African-American? Avoid these, pursue these, crush, Anglo. What are the positive stereotypes of being an Anglo? What are the negative stereotypes of being an Anglo? Avoid these, pursue these, crush. You know, it's, it's this whole thing of, we're either memed, we're memed into civic nationalism of like, it doesn't matter your heritage. We're all just one big soup. Like God loves everybody. He hates racists. And then the other side of it is super neo-Nazi. Like anyone who's not an Anglo on the boats, get out of here. And it's like, no, 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 guys, like I can be fully Anglo, love my Anglo heritage and be married to a Germanic girl and be, uh, you know, uh, I could become a second class citizen in the Afrikaner Republic and be a happy I could be a happy chap and be fully Anglo and be fully honoring of other people's identities. It's just this, I will not become a victim on one hand and full of grievance and full of hatred and murder in my heart. I also will not be, I also will not be disrespected and dishonored. I will not allow other people to come and disrespect my people, exploit my people, enslave my people, hate my people, talk bad about my people. It's like, you don't get to do that. You don't do that to my wife. You don't do that to my family. There's consequences. And that's where we were getting there with, um, with what you were saying, the DVG of the Amish and the Hasids, they have gratitude for who they are and they have strong boundaries. And it's not a hatred of other, you know, me marrying my wife doesn't mean I hate every other woman. It means I have boundaries. You know, I love my wife. And so she gets, she gets in group preference. And me not giving in-group preference to other girls doesn't mean I hate them. It just means that I, I've chosen my wife. Like, she's my group. W. Laser. Hello, friends. Welcome, brother. Andrew Quinn, welcome, brother. If Anglos can build a new identity and community as strong as Orthodox Jews, should that identity be race or religious-based? Should the community see race, Anglo, first or Christianity first? It's inseparable, bro. It's, it's, it's saying this. Should Christian men be men first or Christian first? Should Christian marriages be marriage first or Christian first? Should 
You, you know what I'm saying? Like me being an Anglo is the same as me being a man. I have propensities. I have, I have, I have peculiarities that are, that are only because I'm Anglo. And now when I worship Christ and choose to become uh, a, a follower of Christ and <clears throat> uh, I declare fealty to Christ, this Anglo has declared fealty to Christ. This man has declared fealty to Christ. This marriage has declared fealty to Christ. And so, so when we have, you know, it's why the Jews. Here's what it is. It's this whole, it's the separation of church and state that, that everyone gets wrong. Me being an Anglo Christian nationalist doesn't mean that I say only Anglos can be Christian or only Anglos can come to my church. See, we're seeking the sanctification of our tribe, not the tribalization of our church. So we can go to, we can go to church with any ethnicity. We can be friends with any ethnicity. We can uh, have wonderful relationships with any ethnicity, but I have to do it as an Anglo. I have to do it as a man. I have to do it as married to my wife. I have to do it as when I have kids, as father to my kids. I don't drop all of that stuff. And, oh, I'm just, I'm just, I, I'm just a Christian. I'm, I'm a Christian. And then it's like, you know, well, what about being a man? The responsibilities. What about being a husband? What about being an Anglo? What about being a father? And, and, and our minds have been so liberalized, so brainwashed by this lie that, oh, you become a Christian, say goodbye to being an Anglo. Oh, you become a Christian, say goodbye to being married. You've got to be celibate and become a monk. Oh, you become a Christian, say goodbye to being a father. We, we give up all family for Christ. It's like, no, 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 guys. Who we are, everything that we are becomes Christian. Um, so let's answer that question. So if Anglos build a new identity and community, which, which we should, in honor of God, to honor God, as strong as the Orthodox Jews, should that identity, see, this is where the Orthodox Jews change it, right? They have laws. If you read the, the Pentateuch, they have laws of how the alien, how the outsider can become a Jew. They have laws about who can become a priest if you're an outsider you know, which generation, like how many generations down you are now considered okay to be a priest and all this kind of stuff. There are very, they're realistic about integrating the honorable outsider into their group. Uh, should that identity be race or religious based? You know, um, I, I think that's it. It's like, should my marriage be married? Uh, should, should I be masculine or Christian? It's like Christianity is my guiding Christianity is the software. There we go. Christianity is the software. Race, gender, marriage, economy, everything else is the hardware that is that is glorifying Christ. You know, a lot of guys are like, oh, when I get saved, you know, divorce the wife and go be a monk. Give all your land away and go be a monk. Uh, uh, throw my ethnic heritage away and go be a monk. When God is saying, love your wife and be glorious in it. Love your land. Show the, you know, anyone who comes and sees your marriage, they're like, wow, those guys are Christians. Everyone who comes and sees your land. Wow. Those guys are Christians. Anyone who comes and sees your business. Wow. Those guys are Christians. Likewise, it should be said of our community, our Anglo little culture that we're, we're trying to rebuild. Wow. 
Anglos are the most Christian. You know, you've heard that said, you know, a lot of people will say that about like the African-Americans, like, oh, they're a very religious culture, you know, or like um, of the Afrikaners in South Africa, people will be like, they're a very faithful culture. They're a very, it's the, the Amish, right? The Amish are literally a race right now. You know, they're, they're a race uh, intertwined, inseparably intertwined with faith. The Jews are a race inseparably intertwined with faith. Um, and so it's a hard one for us to get our heads around. So, so to answer your question, because I will answer that question. Yes, Christianity comes first, but it's a software. You know, which came first, the software or the hardware? You need both, right? The software is most, because without the software, the hardware malfunctions. Without the software, the hardware does damage to itself, to others. Without the software, the, the hardware is just a piece of junk. And that's it. As an Anglo, Anglo means nothing without Christ. Rob, uh, we Southern Scotch Irishmen have been the janissaries of empire for far too long. Time to stop paying with our blood. Yeah, and that's because that's because you've been psyoped, not you specifically, but but your Scotch Irish uh, culture tribe men have been psyoped into believing that they are American first, that they are global America homo first, Southern boys second, or Scotch Irish second, or whatever little town you're from second. Got some rain clouds brewing. This is wonderful. Uh, DBG, Andrew Quinn, I might suggest something similar to the Bible, where in general the group is monocultural with a few people from other groups who are willing and committed. Yeah, we've spoken about this. This is great. Yeah, I agree there, DBG. It's great. DBG, for men, it would be their willingness to fight and die for a new group. For the women, their willingness to become honorable wives and concubines for the new group. Rob, America is a proposition nation. It is acceptable to opt out of a proposal. The problem comes in the fighting over claiming of the spoils of the bust out. Yeah, and that's what happened with Rhodesia. Rhodesia declares independence from Britain and the guys were very afraid of retaliation because what they basically did was they took over the uh, the infrastructure that was paid for by Britain, the, the army infrastructure, the, the political governance infrastructure. They basically said, this is ours now. We're the captain now. And so... The, their number one uh, fear was military retaliation to come back and seize the infrastructure. And so we have to be very careful, you know, in a way you want to play out of the deal and go hard, make a, make a huge, make a huge offer, you know, go for, yeah, we're taking the cities. Yeah. We're taking the infrastructure. Yeah. We're keeping all of this stuff, but at the same time, you make yourself a huge target. Are you willing to finish, finish the, the game that you start, you know, and so for a lot of guys, like leaving the Amish way, leaving and going to the middle of nowhere and, and just relying on yourself and taking nothing of the world with you, it doesn't make you a target. The Amish aren't a target of anyone. So, so it goes both ways. Um, Andrew Quinn, I think a combination of both an ethno and religious state will work best. One needs to show Jewish bloodline for Israeli citizenship. Being a religious Jew isn't good enough. Yeah. You know, and that's it. And, and, they, and they are the biggest ally. Of America, so maybe if we start a an ethno-religious homeland, it can become the biggest ally of global homo empire. But yeah, you know this thing—it's it, intertwined, it's inseparable, uh, and it's a wonderful thing to think on. Of like, where are my children? You know, and not that we're these puristic, you know, because I, I, uh, you know, I can take a genealogy test and be like, oh, I'm ninety percent Anglo and stuff, and it's like, it doesn't really matter. You know, the whole thing is this adjacency thing of 
you know, I'm sure the purist that matters, but it's like, how, how much of a paragon of this Anglo culture am I? You know, how much of the ideals do I live out and demonstrate? How much of this glorious heritage am I honoring? That becomes what's really important. Um, and so going forward, the question for your children is, you know, how do I want my children to grow up? What Anglo culture am I? What Anglo Protestant culture uh, or, you know, if you guys are German or, or Irish or Latino or uh, African-American, whatever you are watching this, how do I bring my children into their heritage in a way that's honorable and Christ glorifying? All right, let me, we're, we're about to hit a hurricane here. This is wonderful. Uh, all right, I'll just finish on this and we'll maybe hit this again tomorrow. Carry on with this. It's a great topic. But communal reality. So a lot of us, we think of nation and we're like, we need at least, you know, 4 million people and a state and an army and blah, 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 blah. But life happens in fewer than 120 people. You know, that's the, the, the Amish villages, you know, the Hasidic communities, the, the way that life happens is, is fewer than 120 people. And so just two activities for you chaps to, to think on is number one, activity mapping. Uh, just open a tab on your computer right now and, and open up uh, Google Maps. And after the stream, Go and put stars on every place that you visit regularly every day or every week uh, or even monthly and create a geographical map of your life and you'll see where your actual life is, right? And then the second thing is map out the people, the groups, you know, so, 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 oh, you, church, that's the dot. Okay, well, how many people do I actually know at church? So I'll write down like the seven names of the people I, I actually know at church. Okay, um, I go to the hardware store, write down the names of the actual people that I know at the hardware store. Okay, I go to, to the, the auction uh, company, write down the names. So now there's two things. You're having a geographic uh, map of your life and you're getting now a communal map of your life. And and man, this rain's amazing. We're, we're pouring out there. This is wonderful. Praise God. So that's just a, a great thing for us to, to end today on, chaps. And we'll, we'll carry this on tomorrow. Uh, I really enjoy this topic. I, I hope you guys do too. But yeah, let's hit that. Communal reality. What is your real community right now? What is your geographic domain? Ma let's go map that out. And then what is your, uh, your communal reality? You know, how many people do you know on a first name basis? Or would you like to get to know on a first name? Because it's also like, oh man, I like talking to that guy at the hardware store. I, I always greet him. We always have a little chit chat. Okay, I'm going to go and ask him his name. I'm going to start an intentional uh, relationship with the guy because this is this is my domain, right? I want my children to grow up inheriting my social network, inheriting my social capital, and then maybe we can have some fun as well of of in your in your Twitter life, uh, starting to to map all your mates. You know, obviously you don't have to dox yourself, but like, oh, this guy's from Texas. Oh, this guy's from Idaho, and start start creating on a bigger scale, like okay, wow, this is my tribal affiliation map, you know, that that we would all like to get together and, and start a tribe one day because what's going to happen is maybe not you, but now your children start growing up and you're like, I would like my children to marry someone in my tribe. And now you've got a map. So love you, boys. Have a phenomenal afternoon. I'm going to go and catch some rain. Praise God. Rob, 100%, your children inheriting your kith and kin, a true inheritance. Praise God, brothers.